Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. Good morning, Mr. Benny Mathers. Oh, How are you? <laughs> waking up the old consciousness here. There we go. Ah, feels good. <laughs> That's reminding me of when I was growing up and I, I've never really been a morning person. Don't hold it against me, but I love it when I finally get up in the morning, right? Like it, it's I do. all good. Yeah, I, I mean, it's rise yeah. and shine. Early bird gets the worm, however you want to quote it or say it. I've been a morning person for now probably over 20 years, at least 20 years, wow. maybe going on 25. Just never had any. I mean, I've done the overnights, the evenings too. Wasn't never my thing. I am just an average. Um, I have a lot of energy in the morning. I guess it's usually it's good for me. And I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is good for you. I was remembering that. Um, okay. So it, my dad would come in and he would flip the light on like oh, time to get up. Yeah, right. Yeah. And if you didn't get up, the next thing was he pulled all the covers off. Right. Which now, so that's really just got me up. That's just yeah. me. <laughs> That's just me. And then we also did, this is, I don't know what this is. Maybe people out there listening need it. And when I'd go to school, um, I can't remember if it was the first grade, the second grade. I had a teacher that made us sing a song every morning that was good morning to you. Good morning to you. We're all in our places with sunshiny faces. So this is the way to start a new day. And I I'm, can remember. I'm looking for that right now. I'm going to so I know you that. are. I know you are. And I, I am that feisty little girl. And I would be like, good morning to you. <laughs> 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 like biting your tongue, like why you little put my covers back on. <laughs> uh, but the other thing is that I love music, and it worked every time. By the time I got to the end of that song, I was like, okay, I feel better. I didn't want to feel better, but I do. Okay, right? it, well, it's a kid song. I've found a couple, so I'm gonna I'm gonna research that. Okay, all right, and and we'll bring it. We'll we'll see if we can bring it for you. <laughs> anyway, I'm giving all the parents out there great ideas. Very gently, I think so. Yeah, you know, sure. <laughs> Why not? Maybe you could, you could just, you know, quietly sing it in their room or something. I or, don't know. Anyway. Or belt it out. Like, you know, it's <laughs> another way of doing it. It's a way of getting you up really quickly. Yeah. Anyway, so good morning, everybody. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Loretta Brown, and I'm the owner of Reiki Oasis, located right here in the greater Seattle area for, good heavens, 28 years. I think it is. And you can find out everything about me at ReikiOasis.com. Schedule everything at schedule.ReikiOasis.com. And uh, the Temple of the Divine Feminine class will be Saturday, February 24th. And you can join us in person or via Zoom. So, you know, and it is a four-hour class, just so you know. It is a long class, but it's very, very worth it. It is really for the nurturing of our souls, um as women and also well there's a lot we could say about the goddess and and maybe we'll get into that a little bit with my guest today so uh welcome to february and also february 10th is chinese new year year of the wood dragon coming up which is going to be a very powerful wonderful year lots of changes so february welcome to february it is february 1st today and guess what it is a leap year leaping ahead. I love leaping. And 29 days to play with as opposed to 28. So all month, all the planets are direct. Full steam ahead. Nobody's going backwards. 
So uh, we're also we're we're going to get a surge of motivating and fiery en energy this month coming through thanks to a uh, uh, Mars and Pluto having a nice little conversation. And uh, February also brings one of the most profound energetic alignments of 2024 between Chiron and the North Node. I'll talk about that in a second. But February is the second month. And I want to use the uh, talk about the number two as well as February 22nd, 222. The number codes 22 and 222. 22 is a master number in numerology. It is the master builder number, which is all about working together to create. And two is the number of partnerships and coming together to achieve a goal. So 222 and 222. <laughs> <laughs> and also Pluto moving into Aquarius and all the planets direct, maybe it's time to get something done. Yeah, that could be good. So from January to April, the meeting of Chiron and the North Node in the sign of Aries brings powerful healing and it's going to help to instigate miracles and it wants to bring peace. Boy, could we use that. This is an energy that has the potential to soften even the hardest of hearts. As Chiron and the North Node are meeting in Aries, there will be a passionate, fiery quality to the way we experience the energies. As Aries is also the first sign of the zodiac, there could be a theme of new beginnings or perhaps healing that help us to forge a new path forward. And perhaps a wounding or a trauma needs to be recognized first for us to realize this peaceful healing energy and perhaps we need to reach a tipping point which honestly i believe we're at it to realize we cannot continue to go on the way we have been it is time to do it differently so chiron is the wounded healer abandoned at birth and the deep wound of being abandoned eventually called chiron to rise up as a powerful teacher a healer and a psychic. We can see elements of the wounded healer in our own lives and our own uh, wounds often pave the way for us to becoming more compassionate and understanding to those who have also experienced suffering. And you know, we're always at choice. We can become bitter or we can go through those. I call them the great initiations, right? And come out on the other side. Chiron is our reminder that we can channel our wounds and our traumas into powerful portals of healing and teaching for ourselves and others. And in our natal charts, Chiron represents our inherited wounds, either from early childhood upbringing or from past lives. Woo! and what we have come here to heal. So the North Node is a mathematical point that is calculated between the sun and the moon. The North Node represents where we are heading, and the South Node is representing what we are leaving behind. And so the North Node is in Aries. It can be our future and what lessons or themes are destined to lay ahead of us, the direction of our soul path, what le lessons or themes we have come here to master. So it's a good thing to look at in your chart if you've not done it. Get together with a good astrologer and have a nice little chat. The fusion of Chiron and the North Node brings a calling to heal our wounds on a societal level or on a level that affects 
all of humanity. And as Chiron and the North Node come together, we may see a greater call for humanitarian efforts and, and suffering. And like I said, bring peace, bring pre peace to ourselves, to our communities, to our world. Yes, on a personal level, the meeting of Chiron and the North Node can help to activate your own healing and it can inspire you to heal your wounds not through fixing them, but through accepting them. And there is also happening right now, I've noticed it, um, an awakening or an activation of healers or people that really wanna get out there and help people kind of wade through this whole thing, right? And, and come out on the other end. So this energy of Chiron and um, uh, at North Node Aries is in effect from January till April, at the same time all these planets are going direct. However, a date to mark on your calendar, February 11th, February 11th, Chiron and the North Node will be in exact conjunction in Aries. And this is when we're going to experience the peak of this energy. Uh, there might be miraculous healings. There could be some sort of path to peace being forged. And like I said, it because it's got Aries, it could be strong and fiery and passionate, and it could just be, you know, revealing something that really needs to be healed. It could be an activation point um, in order to draw our attention to it and and get us to attend to it, right? <laughs> and to usher in a brand new beginning. So, wow, what a powerful, powerful time we're in. What a great day for my guest. I'm going to just bring her on right now. And uh, I always like to lay out the energy because there is a direct connection between what is happening and when the guests appear on my show. And even if you listen to these shows later, those energetic connections are important. So my guest today, whoo-hoo, I feel like, yes, finally we're there. She's been waiting in the green room, you know, having a nice little cup of tea or something. And my guest today is the amazing Dina Miriam, uh, a woman who literally defies definition and every time i talk to her my heart is thrilled and i'm joyful and i'm so glad for whatever that is so dina is an author a storyteller an activist the founder and uh, founder of the global peace initiative of women among other accomplishments many accomplishments dina writes books that may be different from anything else you've read. These stories are unique memoirs that cover the journey of a soul through several lifetimes. And I'm noticing your books are weaving together. As with all of Dina Miriam's books, To Dance with Daikinis in Search of Self is a study of the universal law of cause and effect and how events in our life, our deeds, thoughts, and reactions impel the process of rebirth. Fascinating. For over 40 years, Dina Miriam has been a student of Paramahansa Yogananda and a practitioner of Kriya Yoga Meditation. She is also a long-term student of the great texts of the Vedic tradition, and she is the author of My Journey Through Time, The Untold Story of Sita, When the Bright Moon Rises, Rukmini, and The Turning of Time, and to dance with daikinis. And if I know you at all, I know you're working on more stuff. Keep it coming, lovely lady. It is so wonderful. Welcome to my show. Good Thank morning. Thank you, Luana. That's so, so 
quite an introduction, but I also <laughs> loved your your astrological analysis because it's something that I've been following. And we've got Pluto going into Aquarius, which is sort of like a learn long term situation. So there's a lot there's a lot of potential here for movement. Yes, there is. And I, I was thinking when you were talking, because I I've been talking, you know, last year, Pluto danced back and forth between Capricorn and Aquarius. And now it's in Aquarius. It'll go back into Capricorn in September until after the second week of November after the elections. And then it will go into Aquarius for the next 21 years. So dancing, 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 dancing. Yeah. The whole I thing hope, is dance. I hope it's dancing with daikinis. I don't know. <laughs> We'll have to see. <laughs> we'll have to see. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So where do we begin? Where do we begin? Um, let's just fill in a little gap for perhaps people that don't know. And I do want to remind people that Dina has been on my show before and every time it is amazing. Um, what was the first book you wrote and and really how did how did you get into writing these books? Well, you know, I I have had glimpses of of my past birth since I was young, but there wasn't a whole narrative. Just I knew I had been born in a certain place and there were a lot of things about my early life that were sort of like remnants as we all have. If you look at your early life, you can see that there are remnants there. Um, but but when I, I got to a certain point where um, it was because of, of, uh, of situ out of circumstances, a man came into my life and where I was thrown into the past, just the birth previous to this. And I relived the whole story from childhood to death. And it was destabilizing, I have to say, because I'd be sitting in a meeting. I was working as a writer at my family's PR company. I'd you know, be sitting in a meeting and I'm back in you know, Europe during World War II. <laughs> it was like I had teenage sons, I was a single mom. so. It was it was a, a challenging time for me. And then I and then that passed. I saw the whole life and it passed. And then the, the life previous to that and so on. But five or six lives. And I decided to write them down so I could see the karmic patterns. How does one life link to the next? Because it's really just not it's more than a curiosity for me. I want to understand this universal law. You can understand so much about your life if you can see your past. And so I wrote it down, not thinking to share it with anyone, but a good friend of mine who was a writer uh, got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and she um, uh, knew I was working on something. She had just started TM. She was sort of just beginning to enter the spiritual uh, uh, world. And I said, well, I don't know how you, she was Jewish background. I said, I don't know how you're going to respond to this, but yeah, I'm, I'm talking about my past, my past births. She's, I want to read it. So she read it. And it completely changed her relationship with death. She passed away about a year later, yeah. but she had such fear of death. And after reading the book, she made peace with it. And then she asked me if she could share it with some other friends who were ill. And I showed it to, interesting enough, then I showed it to two of my spiritual friends who said, Dina, you can't sign your name to this. This was maybe seven, eight years ago. I said, she, they said, use a pseudonym. I said, it's time to come out of the closet. Everybody's coming out of the closet. <laughs> it's time we stay. <laughs> we, what we, so I did. And um, 
and I had two, you know, they said to me, because you're working in the interfaith world, you know, it's going to put you and make you seem a little off, you know, in the deep end. And and I have to say, when I when I had my first experiences, I was married, I was divorced, but I had been married to a psychiatrist. And so I did question myself. Yeah. I didn't. How do you know this is real? So I actually uh, um, was like a detective. I went to the places that I saw. I went to the place that I saw her had died. I went to the place that I saw had been my birthplace. And I, I confirmed things that I was seeing. I only did that with at the beginning because I had to know whether to trust what I was seeing. Um, now I totally accept. And I think that there are ways to know. Um, just like when you have a spiritual experiences, you can know whether they're authentic. Um, but anyhow, so that's how my first book got underway. I um I'm fascinated by all this and I love it. Um you know, I've traveled the world a lot and I was thinking when you were talking um I have actually had this experience where I have um gone to a place like the the, the, the Ajanta Caves, you know, and um when I got there I had a experience where I was literally, literally fell to the ground and started crying, right? and had full memory of something. And um, I want to ask you, when you went to these locations, did you have any kind of a response to them? Was it just uh, connecting, you know, what you had seen, which I think is incredible validation, right? Um, what was that like for you? Was it was It was confirming what I had seen. Um, and it was it was somewhat emotional. I mean, the the scenes, I mean, there was there were um, suffering in that life, you know. So yeah. I went to you know, my, born in Russia. I went to Saint Petersburg to to see the place, and there was a lot of pain because I'd been sent out of Russia and never saw my parents again, and so there was pain associated with that. And then I ended up dying in Prague, and I. And I was there and I had mixed feelings about that place, very mixed feelings about that place. Now I've gone to other places. So of course, this is just the beginning of my journey. And that's the first book. <laughs> there are other books <laughs> right. and other parts of the journey where um, I also had very emotional experiences. And um, I have a few interesting stories. That, so my interest is how do you, how do you work through the karma of it, right? Yes. So in my, in that book, the first book, I talk about a life in India, in Varanasi, in the 17th century. And I talk about communal violence. My husband and I had to leave. Communal, I was Hindu, Hindu Muslim violence, and I had to leave. I didn't say much more about it. And then that story goes on. Um, well, about four or five years ago, my son wanted to go to the Ajanta cave. I was taking him and his young kids to India for the, and they wanted to go to the caves. And so we didn't get to go. We had too much else to do in India, but I came home and I started researching. I said, I'm going to take you to the caves next. So, I, and I, and I saw that you have to fly into a place called Awangabad, Awangabad. And then from there you get to the caves. As soon as I heard Awangabad, I realized, why did I have to flee Varanasi? Aurangzeb, that demon, destroyed the Kashi Vishwanath temple, the great Shiva temple. He destroyed it and built a mosque there. He was a, a villain. But 
there's a city named after him. There's a university named him. It would be like having Hitler University or Hitlerville. And so I went through, and this was only a few years ago, such anger. It's like, why are they not villainizing this man? Why isn't he viewed as a Hitler? I mean, he destroyed tens of thousands of temples. You know, Hindus were slaughtered, but sort of papered over because the moguls are, are shown as sort of like a very cultured, you know. So I, I, was, I decided that I was going to go find his grave, which is there in Rangabad. So I, I said, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to go. I'm going to do something at the grave. And I and I thought about it and I said, you know, I could get arrested, Global Peace Initiative of Women, it doesn't look yes. good. But I had to find a way to work out my anger. <laughs> right. I found a hotel, I was gonna do this. And as I was getting ready to do this, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was standing before the ruins of a temple and looking at the ruins, and a man came up to me and said, Oh, there's an old Sufi up there in the corner. Why don't you go greet him? So I said, okay, that's a good idea. So I climbed over the ruins. I went to the corner and I found this poor disheveled man sitting in the in the uh, corner. And he looked at me. I greeted him. He looked at me. And I heard myself say, oh, my God, that's Aurangzeb. Aurangzeb was, was a ruler. He was the, he was the, the Mughal ruler at, at, in the 17th century. I woke up and my anger was gone. Oh. So it was the healing of a wound that I didn't even know I had. Yeah. You know, I mean, that the having lived through a time of destruction, and this is what we do when we take a new birth, it kind of gives us a clean slate. Having lived through a time of great destruction, I felt a lot of, I had internalized that pain and anger from 400 years ago. And it came out now because a lot of memories are awakening. But what do you do? How do you make peace with a man who's gone, you know? Yeah. So I consider that total grace that I was able to find him in some, you know, some some astral plane and make peace with him. And I, I have no more. Shortly after that, well, it was actually this sometime this year, the name of the town was changed. It's no longer called Aurangabad. <laughs> I had been I had been wanting just a few things: change the name of the town, and teach the history in schools. So you know, just set history right. But but um, that was one of there's another story I have like that. But that is a, a situation. That is a, an example of how an old wound can be healed in your life, uh, just having the desire to heal it. Yes. Um, I love that story. I want to ask you one question, then I want to hear your other example, because um, there's something in this that's hitting it right on the, the nail on the head for me. Um, is that connected somehow to that, what you just said, uh, to the end of the book here, where you have someone, that, the, the person, the woman goes to a temple, well, she thinks there's a temple there, and the temple's not there, and she... Okay. Was, that was another temple that was destroyed. And that's that another in, temple. Okay. In, in Rukmini and the turn, mm -hmm. see, it's all the books are connected because our lives are all connected. In Rukmini and the Turning of Time, uh, I was a stone carver uh, uh, 
building the temple to, to Krishna, which was later destroyed. And of course, I didn't live to see it destroyed, but I was part of the, one of the stone carvers. That's one of the few male incarnations that I write about, the only male incarnation I write about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm being with this weaving of the threads of time and also these connections uh, forwards and backwards. Um, there's, you know, when we realize that we are time travelers or we have lived many lives, however you want to say it, and it starts to bring to me a deepness or a richness to an understanding of what is our life all about. And like you said, how do we work through the karma of these things? Um, you know, like in any given lifetime, um, do we always accomplish what we set out to accomplish, you know? Are there things undone, you know, that need to be carried forward into some other uh, time, like especially interactions with people, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I want to say this. I know I'm throwing a lot out there, but I know you can handle it. Um, this is also historical context. Like, I'm very aware when I'm reading, and by the way, I just love your books. I just can't get enough of them. I <laughs> just tell everybody, just go get them all to dance with Daikinis. We're going to get to that story in just a second. But this understanding, this weaving from lifetime to lifetime and an understanding that maybe some of the quote suffering or some of the things like you just said, this woundedness, something you've carried with you, this anger is not actually from this lifetime. And you've got to make that connection in order to heal it in some, I don't even know if it's a definable way honestly yeah exactly i think i think people who who carry anger they just have anger in them and it's hard to identify where it comes from i mean clearly you know we carry so much of our past with us we carry so much of our past and um it's interesting what you say because you can travel back in time and forward and so with the book that i'm working on now is called memories of a future life oh. and it projects 200 years in the future Send it to me now. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Dina. I'm a, I'm a disgusting follower of your work. <laughs> a very interesting experience because when I write about the past, I'm writing about a less awakened self, a self that doesn't have the knowledge that I have now. Yeah. And so go back I, I told somebody just the other day it's like i'm getting to understand the teachings that were given then that were not understood then and this is true certainly in to dance with dakinis teachings that were given to the then me were not understood but now when i hear them it's like they're coming to me anew and that's the gift for me it's it's all the books to me are just a teaching because i get to hear the messages that i didn't quite get at an earlier stage and so the interesting thing is I'm projecting myself in the future into a more awakened me. I love that. Um, you also said something. I I actually wrote uh, wrote down something, a quote, quoting from your book. And I want to read that right now. And then we'll take a little station break. And sometimes as I'm reading, and I'm sure other people have this experience, reading your book to me is a it is a spiritual experience that number one, you're a very wonderful author and you write very, it's lovely. It's great. You're pulled right into the story. But the other thing is there's something going on at a consciousness level. And there are these teachings in, in your writings and sometimes things just hit me. Right. And this to me is 
uh, what I'm going to read, um, I think, well, everyone can relate to it uh, because we're living in such uh, challenging times. So it, there's there's two quotes here. The first one is, when the heart and mind are disturbed, danger comes. Do not be affected by the confusion in the minds of others and be grateful for the gifts you receive. That's the first one. And the second one is, anger is born of thwarted desire and unmet expectations. But there is also the appearance of anger that is born of compassion and is not really anger at all, but rather a fierce determination. Only that can bring a beneficial result. Fire is needed to burn away dross, but in the burning of that dross, there is joy, great joy at the prospect of the freedom that will come. Yeah. So you can ponder that. We're going to take a little station break. And, um, oh goodness, please do not go away. This is Loretta Brown, my wonderful guest today, Dina Miriam. And she has written a lot of great books. We're going to get into uh, her book, To Dance with Daikinis, when we get back. And then any comments she wants to say about those quotes. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional-sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Did you know that Reiki healing can be done at a distance? It's true. So let Reiki Oasis focus powerful energy to help relieve your stress, grief, sadness, anger, and so much more. Convenient, personalized treatments at a distance can increase lightness of being. During your appointment, find a quiet place to lie down or sit to receive healing energies. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. All families are different, and some have parents or children with little to no eyesight. But this doesn't stop them from sharing the work, play, love, and laughter of family life. Eyesight doesn't define a parent, a child, or a family. What counts is being together. Want to learn more? Visit us on the web at blind.org. The National Federation of the Blind. Live the life you want. Alternative Talk 1150, online at 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to the original Loretta Brown Show with my great guest, Dina Miriam. And um, just to remind everybody that uh, these shows are archived and you can download them and listen to them free over and over again at the archives for KKNW. 11.50 a.m., the original Loretta Brown Show. And also we're on iTunes, Podcast One, Spotify, X, Megaphone. Oh, I'm sure I've left something out. YouTube. Uh, yeah, it, it's we're all over the place. And please check it out. And also go back and look at the other interviews with uh, Dina Miriam. And so, Dina, welcome back to the show. Yeah. Before the break, I, I read some quotes from your book. Do you have any comments about those? No, but the the this was a an, um, an interesting is is an important teaching actually this, the issue of anger because uh, uh, 
when we have, yes, anger comes from thwarted desires. Things are not the way we want them to be. We're not getting what we want. And so we get angry about it instead of realizing that we have exactly what we need, (laughs) that everybody has exactly what they need for the next stage in their unfoldment. And yet we we want certain things and and it's dealing with our wants that we have to we have to address that. But this this the story of this woman in To Dance with Dakinis is that she's looking externally for the beautiful goddess. But who comes to her? The wrathful goddess. At the end of the story, it's the wrathful goddess who comes to her. And that's exactly what she needs. And that's that's what she says, that I had been looking for the beautiful Davy. But it was the fierce Davy, because it was the fierce Davy she had gotten herself into a terrible karmic knot that she couldn't unwind. Uh, she There's a whole story around that. And the beginning of the story comes from another book, An Earlier Life. It was a karmic knot. She didn't understand it. She couldn't free herself from it. And uh, she needed that, 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 uh, that sword to come break her free. And that's finally what happens at the end. And we all need both. Yes. We need the beautiful, gentle Davy, and we need the fierce Davy, because the I mean the fierce Davy is needed to cut through illusions, and to help us break free from, you know, delusions, attachments, whatever's holding us back. Uh, t- talk to that just a little bit. You know, I um met you know Paul Lamo um few years back and I think on one of the shows I had either was headed to Mount Kalish or just got back from Mount Kalish and um this is very activating for me you know there's something personal about it as well as this big thing but talk to the compassionate goddess the uh how do we find the goddess because you know a lot of this book dancing with daikinis you know one of the overriding questions is who are you and and like you say she is she's searching for the goddess maybe in all the right places and the wrong places but talk about the faces of the goddess that wrathful goddess that compassionate goddess just whatever it is that's from your heart she was searching for the goddess externally and and she keeps getting told it's goddesses inside you look internally for the goddess and then I think it was pure grace that that Paldan Lamo comes to her, the fierce goddess, um, but, but the compassionate one. I mean, that ferocity is from compassion, because if if you're if you're if you're if you're tied up in illusion, if you're you can't free yourself, it takes great compassion to come and free you, uh, and 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 you get what you need. Um, there's a, there's a, there, up until a certain point, you need that gentle, beautiful goddess to draw you. Uh, and then at a certain point when you're able to withstand it, you need that great compassion that will come and cut you, cut, cut, cut away the false, the falsity, the, the false, um, uh, the falsity of who you think you are. You yeah. know, we just think that we're just this one personality. You know, thank God we're not. <laughs> thank God we're much more than that. Yeah, and I, I made a comment during the break that, you know, so many people have a very small myopic vision of who they are in in the reality of all that is. And your books help expand that out, help us to understand this greater picture. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. There, there are several uh, parts in the book where 
it happened in the Tibet life. It also happened in the successive life in India, where where she sort of asked who she is, and um, and her teachers say that their teachers had done the same thing to them. Asked, "Who are you?" And they recounted this one with the Dalha, however you think of her as a as a sage or the the deity of the moon, however you think of her. She was asked her name, and uh, she she f- forgot which incarnation she was in. So, <laughs> so she recites all the names she's ever had. Hoping she, she gets it right somewhere. <laughs> you know, it's like that with us too. <laughs> you know, I, I I've gotten to the point was I say, well, which which one am I that or am I that one? And I find a little piece of each one still within me. It's like you take a little piece, but I certainly am not that person anymore. It's just like I look at myself in my 30s when I had a little bit of a wild life and I say, who was that? (laughs) I'm not that person anymore. We do things earlier in our life that we just would never do now. And we think, you know, so in one lifetime, you go through transformations because you're growing and learning. And, you know, everybody goes at a different pace. Some of us like could go through many lifetimes in a life. And other people go at a slower pace. You know, it's just how you want how you want to do it. Yes, yeah, it's exactly true. I always go. Uh, uh, here's the next, you know, iteration of my life in this lifetime. I feel like I've gone through many lifetimes. Yeah, yeah, many you, many you, things. Yeah, you know, uh, ultimately. So I begin. I begin in the introduction in my new book that I'm working on, saying that. There is no time. Time is a, is a, is a, a, a creation of the mind. In order to, in order to conduct a life, you have to have a, a lineal framework, and so we create this framework. Uh, but if you can go into the past, you can go into the future as well. And so it's a tricky kind of thing. I'm sort of experimenting with this whole thing, yeah, but I yeah. I can see the threads of my current life that I will take and that will need to be worked out. Yes. There are definitely things that I did earlier in my life in terms of relationships when I was a little bit less aware that I will work through in the future. And so there comes a point in your life when you're less when you're you're not so much working out stuff from the past as sort of laying the foundation for the future. Yes. Yes. And I I want to point something out to the audience. I will boldly say this. These books are about your previous lives, you, your soul, right? And uh, as, as they go back and forth, as you read through the books, um, they do weave back and forth. Like I said, I kind of said, oh, that's in the first book. I think that, I think that, that soul comes back as this other person. Um, do we um this is kind of a broad question do we reincarnate with uh the same souls over and over do we incarnate with other souls how does that work i think it's i think it's um both i think we we definitely and 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 you know those strong friendships that we have especially the ones that we make early in life they're definitely sort of like pods you know, relationships. But I have found that there are people in my life from my close, from my just birth previous to this, and then there's some people from further back that had unresolved, that things had not been resolved. And so I think it's, which is, which is, 
makes it so complex. It's like the rational mind can't grasp it. When you look, stand back and look at the whole picture and you look at the interweavings, I mean, in my first book, My Journey Through Time, I talk about a life in Africa, uh, a child who was uh, taken into slavery, taken across the sea. Well, he earns that I end up meeting him my next life. And he's not just by chance. He becomes he becomes a leader of the underground movement to, to, to free the slaves, a very dignified, noble man. And I, by chance, I'm a you know white Southerner. This is two lives back. And I happen to meet because I'm helping to fund his work. And this was a child who'd been stolen into slavery. And when I saw that, it's like, my God, how magnificent it is. You can't see it if you just see one life. But if you can see how things work themselves out, well, it's like even in Dance with Takinis, the story previous to the Tibetan life is one in medieval France where she meets this monk who she falls in love with but can't be in a full relationship with. Well, they marry in Tibet. They both get reborn in Tibet, and they, I shouldn't give away the story, but. A little teaser is good, right? But yeah. but when you see that, it's like, oh, my God, there's really nothing to worry about, nothing to have angst about. You know, you don't get to be with your beloved in this life. Well, it's going to happen. It's got to. It's like the law, yeah. the law of attraction. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, um, you know, but, 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 but. We know that our past has created our current conditions and we are now creating our future conditions. It does make you think, well, I should live more mindfully. Yeah. I really, I I can't be careless. I shouldn't be careless about relationships, about habits. Yeah. Even just habits, patterns of thinking. Well, you bring out, you know, cause and effect or how one thing leads to another. I want to read a little bit here from your, um, bio, I say, you know, about the book, just to make sure we've really laid this out here for the uh, listeners. Uh, The story, this is to dance with Daikinis, right, in search of self. The story begins in 12th century Tibet with a woman's search for the goddess and the deeper truth of life. You meet ordinary people dealing with human suffering and you visit magical lakes and mountains. Yes, they are. You also meet the great mother and through her daikinis, adepts, gurus, and loving souls who guide us life after life without revealing their spiritual stature. Then we meet the great guru Rinpoche, Rinpoche, known to Tibetans as Padmasambhava, who will learn, uh, we will learn more of the spiritual history of Tibet and India, the deep interconnection of these two great civilizations, and the story unravels the threads that link together three lives. Through a crisis that Padma, our main character, encounters, she's led to a master who helps awaken memories of her previous life in medieval France and an earlier life in China, during which events were set in motion that led to the crisis she now faced. Yeah. So it's all tied together somehow, isn't it? It's all tied together. And um, at the end of the book, so she, the third life is in India as a very, very poor woman, uh, you know, from, from, and yet born to two saintly beings, two saintly beings. And um, there's a lot of destruction going on, and she's very frustrated that she has, I mean, what can a poor village woman do? Her next birth is 
as a princess, a Rajasthani princess. And that, her story is told in my first book, My Journey Through Time, where yes. I tell the story of this young princess who uh, gets married to the son of the, of the Muslim ruler. Uh, she meets him. He's also just a, 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 an ordinary guy, a Muslim guy that she meets. And he's formed an attraction to her, but there's no way she's going to marry out of her community. And so she rejects him. But he doesn't, he can't get her out of his mind. <laughs> and she, he says, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to marry you. She says, yeah, sure. Right. Bye. <laughs> but he pursues her. And they do. And so how can you understand that when I was writing my journey through time, I hadn't seen that previous life. I hadn't seen it. So it's like, I'm also filling in the, it's like you've got this big frame and I keep filling in pieces of the puzzle. Um, you know, that, that uh, I look back and I say, uh, a poor village woman then becomes a princess. Well, how beautiful is that? Yes. How, how do you, how are you pulling these pieces together, Dina? Because I understand, I feel like you're divinely directed here, but um, this, I, I'm just going to say this, please correct me if I'm wrong. This sounds to me like it is a part of your, it's probably a part of your practice, a part of your life. And, and the memories are coming back as they are required to come back. I'm, I can't force it. Right. And so I have to wait. And, and, uh, you know, often it's through my meditation. You know, I, I, I have always had a disciplined meditation practice in the morning. I'm a morning person. <laughs> and after that, I write. Um, my and, next life, morning person. <laughs> morning person. Well, it, doesn't matter. Some people are, can stay up till midnight, and that's the most creative time. But, um, you know, it's like I have to just, you know, and sometimes it's like a floodgate. I mean, usually when I'm in the middle of writing a book, and I never know what's going to come next. Is there going to be another book? You know, uh, uh, often as I'm finishing a book, I begin to another f opening. It's a portal. Something yeah. opens and things just come through. And I, I I have in every room of my house a pad and a pen because I'm always afraid I'm going to lose <laughs> the thread. By my bed, there's a pad and a pen. And and um, and I just I'm jotting things down all the time because I hear things. I, I hear things and I see things. It's like I'm watching a movie. And I know which character I am. And, you know, and people have used that analogy. This is like a movie, this life. It's like a play. You keep changing. I mean, actors keep changing. You know, if you love an act, an actor, you keep following that actor into all the different roles. You just like that actor and you've seen them do all kinds of things. That's the way we are. And if we can have that perspective, everything changes. Yeah. You know, and you, you know, you, you're doing your work that you've come to do in this life. And um, and you want to do it the best you can. Yeah, I'm also being with this connection back and forth. I want to. There's something I want to bring out. Um, I want to talk about the connection to the earth. Um, in your book, you talk about um, the spirits of Sadak, the spirits that live in the earth, the spirits of Nian, Nian, spirits that reside in rocks and trees, Xian, Qian. Jen, the spirits that reside in the air, and Lu, spirits that live in the water, and nourish all living beings and bring adequate rain. Talk about the importance of the connection to the earth and these spirits, and are there actually spirits that oversee these things? Oh, I didn't know anything about Bodhan. 
before I started writing this book. And I was surprised to find myself as a follower of Bone, which is the indigenous religion, yes. uh, a very ancient religion, actually, or a, a way of life. I don't, the word religion is sort of like a new new term. Um, but, but when I was writing that and I thought, well, the spirits of the air, when they're not honored, they carry disease. I was writing this during COVID. Yes. And I thought, well, isn't that what's happening now? The air is carrying a disease to us and look at our polluted cities. We're not honoring the air, the purity of the air in any way. I mean, we can't even get proper curves on, on the, the, you know, emissions, you know, and, uh, and the spirits of the water are not honored. Yep. There's flooding. Yes. So I, I said, look around and say, we don't think about this today in our world. We don't connect flooding to anything. We don't connect, you know, uh, uh, fires to anything. We don't connect anything to anything. <laughs> you know, we just see it all as independent phenomenon, but nothing is independent. Everything is connected. And it all has to do. The other thing that I, that I, I think I need to emphasize is the power of the mind, the power of our thoughts. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, I kind of feel that all we have to do is love the earth because the, from love, action will follow. Love the trees, love the rivers. I mean, and sort of witness what is going on. When I go, especially to India, and I see the state of the rivers there, especially the Ganga, it's like I want to just fall on my knees and beg forgiveness. I mean, how have we allowed this to happen? And it's in all of our rivers and our oceans. Um, I want to, can I tell you a brief story of something yes. that happened to me yes. a few years ago? I, I had come from a, 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 a meeting in Japan where there was a, a man from the Dominican Republic who talked about the whales and how they come every year at a certain time, put their noses to the ground and sing a song to the earth. And that song is carried thousands of miles through the ocean. He told me this, and I was going right after that to the UN climate conference, which was in Poland that year. So I left him, left the meeting, and flew to Paris to get to Poland. And I'm in Paris that night, and I have a dream that I'm standing at my apartment. Uh, I have an apartment in the city overlooking the East River in New York, and I'm looking out the window, and a giant whale swims up the East River, stops in front of my apartment, looks up, we make eye contact, and I said to the whale, I hear you. I woke up. The next day, I'm at the climate conference, and, and I said to myself, I think I just agreed to represent the whales here. And so I went to all the sessions I could on the seas, not a one mentioned animal life. It was all about how it affected human tourist assets. If with the seas rising and all that, what is it going to do all the, to the tourist locations? And I, 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 I was like a flabbergasted. It's like, well, how do the whales get a voice here? It's like that has stayed with me. This is four or five years just before COVID oh, stayed yeah. with me. And um, and then I had another dream about a whale over the summer where I was saved by a whale, and I woke up thinking. You know, the whales are going to save us. If we save the whales, the whales are going to save us. And and around that time, 45 whales around the New York area were, were killed. And a whole group of whales beached themselves in Australia. Yes. And the younger ones were put back into the sea. They beached themselves again. It was like a collective suicide. Yes. And I said, is anybody listening? 
is anybody listening to what they're trying to tell us? And now they're talking about China is moving ahead with mining under the seas. We don't even know what that's going to do. In addition to all the everything else, we don't know what that's going to do. So what can one person do? I don't know one person. All I know is mentally I tune into the whales. I say to the whales, I hear you. I, I'm with you in terms of my energy and my love. And it's with the trees. It's with That's what we can do. I think it's our love and our attention more than anything else. Yeah. Yes. I say yes to all of that. Um, uh, interestingly enough, I have a, 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 a Bon Buddhist teacher, right? And yes, I know how interesting. And I have been thinking a lot about the honoring or dishonoring of the water, the air, the earth. And I just I just have a question and there's no answer to it. What if we just began right there? What if we just began with offerings, you know, just offer to the water? You know, the water has memory. We understand the power of this. Uh, some of us to a certain extent. What about the earth? What about the air? And and the whales for sure, definitely. Yeah. So I I feel the um activation, I'm just gonna say within my own heart. And I hope people listening are are starting to um jingle just a little bit. Your books, I really mean it, have a consciousness expansion concept to them of what is this link to our past and our future? And what we do right here, right now, actually is not only for our past self, it's for our future self and for everyone else on the planet to include all of the creatures, all of the animals, the plants, the whole thing. So, yeah, I say yes to that. I say yes to all of that, Dina. I say yes to all of it. Um, we unfortunately are like one minute left, which is ridiculous. Um, where where can people find you final words if there is such a thing for today um, the books yeah. are on amazon um and i i have a facebook page dina miriam writes one word dina miriam writes and i do readings on that page every other month or so um, and um, also for the Global Peace Initiative of Women, we have a website, gpiw, gpiw.org. Um, and, and that's, we have constant, a lot of online programs now. We're not meeting so much in person. Um, but I just want to endorse what you said about rituals. Rituals have a huge effect. You know, it's really, it's all about the heart. I mean, if you do the rituals, you know, in a functioning way, functioning way, but if you do them with heart, it's all about the heart. Yeah. So thank you so much, Dina, for being on the show today. So much love from my heart to yours. To all the listeners, please, Dina Miriam, to dance with daikinis in search of self. And to all the daikinis, love, love, love. love. Thank you so much. Thank you.